0: Welcome to this episode of TBR, a series of the EBPL Footnotes Podcast. For those who haven't heard, TBR stands for To Be Read, that pile of books sitting on your nightstand, your bookshelf, or your dining room table just waiting to be read. We'll be highlighting a few of the new books, movies, library of things, and other materials coming to the library each month. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm here today with Aaron. Hey,
1: Jamie, thanks for having me.
0: So we're talking about just a handful of the new items that come into the library each month. Why don't you go first? What are some of the things that you've noticed that have piqued your interest?
1: Well, um, that very large and intimidating list we got, Um, (laughs) I did find a few titles that definitely piqued my interest so on the book side of things i really gravitated towards a couple of non-fiction releases this month the first one being forever land on the divine tedium of marriage by mm. heather haversky probably did not pronounce that correctly <laughs> i apologize for that and that is described as a funny examination of modern marriage and the intricacies involved in like Maintaining marriage in today's lifestyles. Another book, cause I'm very fond of this era because I grew up in it. It's just called the nineties by Chuck Klosterman. And it's just kind of like a, a retrospect of the nineties and just kind of the, the major cultural events and happenings of that decade.
0: Interesting. That's interesting. I, I like history. And you know, I think more recently we're thinking of history as not a thing that happened long ago. But that, you know, we are in that ongoing life of history. And so just the 90s is history, even though to our minds, it's like, oh, no, but I remember that time. It can't be history.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. And like I think I mentioned this before, the perfect framing for that, you've seen that somebody show right
0: i've seen some episodes okay. yes
1: so i don't know if you were but they're making a sequel series called that 90s show oh
0: that's interesting
1: which has the same cast because basically the same amount of time has passed in and that now show and now, now they're uh, yeah okay. yeah i can see that and it's just like oh man don't do this to me 70s <laughs> 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 show came out when i was in high school Okay. So I'm like, I do so not. So you'll
0: get to live both ends of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't need to be reminded how far back that was. But um, on the fiction side, there was really only one book that really spoke out to me, and that was Moon Witch Spider King by Marlon James. That is a kind of a sequel to his previous book, uh, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, which is a fantasy novel, kind of like a medieval swords and sorcery kind of thing based on African history and mythology. Oh, And the sequel, the semi-sequel is basically a retelling of the plot of the first book, but from a different character's perspective.
0: Mm -hmm. I really enjoy those books that take and write based on mythologies I'm less familiar with. Yes. And I really feel like those kind of books give a real insight to the mindset of a culture when you really experience their mythology. And especially when it gets translated into, you know, current writing.
1: Yeah. And with me, like when I know it's based off of a culture, mythology mm-hmm. i'm not familiar with i know that i'm going to be experiencing something like new narrative wise and that does personally make me excited to tackle things like this yeah because everyone's got their comfort zone like exactly. you know, it's like oh, uh, okay don't mean to bat- bash you guys but the Hallmark movies, there's a formula, <laughs> and I know you love it, and that's fine. Right. But sometimes I want to get out of my comfort zone.
0: Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. And and I've experienced that in my reading journey. You know, it's like I'll be binging on a certain style for a while, and then it becomes almost too familiar. So then I start mm-hmm. going, you know, what else is out there?
1: Yeah, Yeah. shake things up a bit.
0: Exactly, exactly. All right, so I'm going to jump in. And Go for it. Uh, do a little bit of back and forth of some of the things that I noticed. And uh, one of the things I look forward to every week is – what are the new items coming in? And I always check that spot on our website to go, what are the new titles coming in? And so what I noticed this month is we have a lot of next in series kinds of uh, books coming out. And so for example, the next in series of the In Death series by J.D. Robb is Abandoned in Death. It's the 54th In that series. So that is quite a long series. And uh, what I did not know until recently is that J.D. Robb is also Nora Roberts. Yes. And she writes the Awakening series, which is kind of a fantasy slash romance series. And so I have not read either of those series, but I'm really intrigued by her wide genre writing, you know. One's more fantasy romance. One is more mystery thriller. And so, um, although I could see the the thriller aspect to both sides of that.
1: So uh, why the pseudonym, though? Is it because the genres are vastly different and she was afraid like she'd kind of be... Handicapping herself and marketable appeal, or
0: I mean, I had the same thought and I didn't find a real clear answer to that. But I did look and see that she's not the first writer who's done this. Yeah, Stephen King did this.
1: Yes, Richard he wrote,
0: Bachman. Yes, exactly. He wrote under the pseudonym Richard Bachman, as you said. And Agatha Christie wrote a few romances under the pseudonym Mary Westmacott. And so, I wonder in the same way if she, who was known for mystery. Wanted to write a few romances, but didn't want to write as Agatha Christie because of the expectation of, well, if it's an Agatha Christie, it's a mystery.
1: I think it's definitely different for each one. I know in Stephen King's case, when he started writing as Richard Bachman, Mm -hmm. he did because back in that time, if you wrote like more than one novel a year, Mm -hmm. they saw that as a sign of you being like, you're rushing things and Mm -hmm. you're a bad writer. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of writers back then did use pseudonyms because they were just cranking out like three to four books a year, but they could only market one at a time.
0: Right. And, you know, I can see that. I really can. Because, you know, there is... For people who are non-writers... You know, the idea of that level of productivity might just be mind blowing. How can they be not sacrificing quality? Mm-hmm. And, you know, but some writers are just simply prolific writers and they've got a million ideas and the time and the discipline to flesh them out. And so I think I'm sure that there's as many writing styles as there are book styles. You oh, know? yeah, absolutely. So, you know, some people are going to be a more steady paced writer and some are just spitting out books. Like, you know, I don't think that's. That would be my style if I were to write. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so some of the other series that are coming out is um, number 14 in... The Stephen Stephanie Barron is the author and it's a Jane Austen mystery series and it's Jane and the year without a summer and the year without a summer was an actual year it was in 1816 and there was no quote unquote summer that year because in the South Pacific Mount Tambora had a, a major eruption and it caused what was called a volcanic winter and so this book is set in Jane Austen's time in that summer the year without a summer. And of course, it's this whole mystery of something that happens while she's away, uh, recuperating from poor health, and some mystery arises. So, that just sounds intriguing to me. I, I like I, when they draw in actual history to a setting.
1: Yeah, and not only that, but they take like um, familiar characters, but they like put a new spin on them too.
0: Exactly, yeah. exactly. As, as long as it's well done, I really enjoy yeah. that.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm all for reboots. I'll put that. Like out in the open right now, reboots are fine. Yes. Rebooting characters are fine as long as it's done well, like you said. Exactly.
0: That's the point. I have no objection to a a sequel or remake as long as it's done well. Yeah. Not all are done that well.
1: No. Yeah. There's a good (laughs) chunk of them not done well. Yeah, Yeah. that's true.
0: (laughs) And for fans of Janet Ivanovich... She is beginning a new series. Uh, The very first book in that series is called The Recovery Agent. I saw that. And it's set in the jungles of Peru. She is all about finding these missing objects or lost things. She's usually hired by a family. But in this case, it's something more personal and close to home. So I'm really curious about that adventure series.
1: So... I also have several movies that okay. are coming out this month that I'm really looking forward to. Cause
0: you're a to. movie buff.
1: I am a movie, well, I, I, I will watch movies. I don't know <laughs> if I call myself a buff. I don't know if I've earned that credential yet. But, uh, now I'm not sure when these are being released by the library yet, but the ones I'm looking forward to First, uh, some good old fashioned horror schlocky fest. Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. Wow. Which, yeah, that (laughs) That that sounds uh, interesting title. (laughs) So it is actually, it's of course based off a video game series. Um, but it's also a reboot of the original Resident Evil movie series. Okay. That's actually has six entries started back in 2002, starred, uh, uh, Mia, uh, Jokovic, I think is how you pronounce her last name. Um, but this is a complete reboot closer, ties to the plot lines of the, um, the original games. And it's, from what I've heard, bad, but enjoyably bad. So I'm pumped for that one. Um, next, there's Catwoman, uh, colon hunted. Now we're superhero movies are a big thing, have been a big thing for the last several years. Um, but something I feel like doesn't get a lot of focus on the mainstream is DC's very strong offerings when it comes to uh, animated movies. Mm-hmm. And this one is of course focused on Catwoman, but it is done in anime style. Mm. Uh which they did previously for another strongly anime influenced DC movie called uh Batman Ninja. Which wow. is exactly yeah, there's there's no twists there. It's it Batman, Batman and ninja. he's a ninja, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> um the, I can
0: see the overlap.
1: Yeah. um, But this one, that one actually like transported with no explanation, like everyone back to uh, feudal Japan era. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, we'll just win in Rome. Right, right. But in Japan at that time. So then uh, the first season of Heels is coming out on DVD, which I've been looking forward to. Do you know, do you you watch pro wrestling at all? Have you ever? I do not. Okay.
0: I I have a daughter and her husband who love it, but it's just never been my thing.
1: So it is a show. Do you ever watch Arrow? Or ever heard yes, of? Yes, yes. So, with that one. Stephen ML, who was uh, previously Arrow on that okay. show, mm-hmm. he stars um, in this uh, TV series about a um, a local wrestling uh, league that he inherited from his father, and both him and his brother are uh, wrestlers in. And it's just kind of, like, a behind-the-scenes look at this, uh like, wrestling itself. Like, if you watch wrestling now, it's presented, like, as a real sport. Right. But we all know it's not. It's scripted. I'm not going to say it's fake because... Well, kind of
0: choreographed
1: it's choreographed but when people are like oh you know wrestling's fake i'm like you know movies are fake too yeah. well
0: reality tv is really
1: tv is not reality very scripted
0: TV, yeah. for most of the time
1: but it does like that very deep dive behind like the psychology of like keeping up like what they call kayfabe which is the uh the parents keeping the the show going like no matter what you're doing uh-huh. like if you're out and about you're still that wrestling character oh like, even if you're like at the local
0: hole. yeah i see i see i i could see the tension in that imagine being the actor who has to be their character yes. whenever they're in public Yeah. I wouldn't like.
1: I mean, just imagine if um, Johnny Depp had to be like Captain Jack, like all the time.
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Can you imagine?
1: That would be, that would not be a good way (laughs) to exist. Uh, The last one is House of Gucci.
0: Okay.
1: Which is kind of, uh, kind of for the same reasons that I'm looking forward to Resident Evil. I'm also looking forward to this one because it's probably not as gory, of course, but it's just got like a certain amount of hamminess to it. Okay. That I, uh, with like some of the performances I've seen. So that one I'm definitely looking forward to. So check those out. Um, You know, they should be coming into the library this month. Of course, uh, it, some of those you can go ahead and put holds on. Just let someone at the front desk or the information desk know and they'll help you out with that.
0: Right. And depending on when you become aware of that, you may be still waiting a moment. I get in line for holds. I put placing holds for things that are coming in and sometimes I catch them early. And so I'm early in the line, but I just recently put a hold on the newest Ghostbusters Afterlife movie and I'm like number 54 in (laughs) the line. It's moving up. It's moving up, but it's going to be a minute before I get to watch that.
1: And I always tell people, like, it goes a lot faster than you expect. Because it's usually true. The new releases, we do get a lot of those copies, especially ones we know where we're going to have, like, upwards exactly. of 100 people putting holds.
0: I often, as people put holds on, and they will ask me that question where I'm at at line and i'm like oh you're number 12 or 37 yeah. but i always tell them we have multiple copies so that'll move more quickly than you expect yeah so anyway um uh, some of the non-fiction books that caught my eye now i like and i guess it's a little early to be thinking about this but i i enjoy camping and hiking and so as the warmer months approach i noticed this book 50 states, 500 campgrounds, where to go by Joe Yogurst. So, I, a lot of times we will do, my husband and I will do our camping locally, not far away. We've got some, uh, a place that we like to go to in Illinois frequently, you know, but we also like day trips and um, just going a little farther afield. And so, there's some places I'd like to go. And so, that title caught my eye because I thought I could see myself kind of going in an ever widening circle just further away. So, one of the places that I have been recommended to is the Indiana Dunes National Park. I haven't been up there yet, but I could just see you going a little bit further each year to just some campground or area that we haven't visited yet. So this would be a good resource to start doing a little preemptive research. Oh, definitely. And then Brene Brown, uh, many people know that name now, but she has been well known for the last several years for her research uh addressing courage, shame, vulnerability and empathy and she has just released a new title called Atlas of the Heart. And so I watched her special on Netflix. I think it was called A Call to Courage and it was excellent and I've heard her on her podcasts and she really speaks very really very eloquently and bravely about difficult issues for people to unpack. So I think that this book would be very worth the time to spend on. And the last nonfiction book that caught my attention was called Eating to Extinction by Dan Saladino. Love that title. Saving rare foods and why we need to. And it has to do with how a number of plant species are going extinct And this includes varieties of foods that we eat daily. For example, there's far fewer banana species now than there were. And that that is a dwindling number of species. And the problem with that, that doesn't sound like a big deal. We've always had bananas. We'll always have bananas. Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily true. And it kind of addresses this where we'll have a favorite species and we will grow that almost to exclusion of others, and that's dangerous. And I'll give you an example. The potato famine, the the famous Irish potato famine, Mm -hmm. occurred because the Irish were basically uh, being pressured to grow one main variety of potato species because it was, I don't remember what the parameters were, but it was the most productive, it grew the fastest, the largest (laughs) potatoes, that kind of thing. And so the problem with having mainly one species is if a pestilent or pest that comes along that specifically attacks that species, then you're losing, you're basically your entire crop. Yeah. If you have five potato species and one gets attacked, well, that's going to be a loss, but not a total loss. But if you're growing one species, then, and that comes along, then you're in a, and which, why it was such a catastrophe when that species was attacked during the potato famine and it made it very, very hard for farmers and families to survive because their, you know, viable crop was just gone.
1: Yeah. And I, I find like the, the history of agriculture so fascinating. I think they need to teach more of that in school. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I grew up in like a farm town, so it was forced to be, but
0: (laughs) you learned it whether you wanted to or not. (laughs) Yeah.
1: But nowadays I'm glad I kind of had that exposure, but have, have you ever like, into like the seed vaults throughout?
0: I have. I the know world. that in uh, a Scandinavian country, they've got a deep underground vault and they save all kinds of seed species just mm-hmm. for this reason to try to make sure that things don't become extinct or if they did, there is a reserve that can be drawn upon. And so um, I remember listening to uh, a man, and this was many years ago, talk about how many varieties of food we used to draw from. And Mm -hmm. that has reduced and reduced and reduced because people go to the most productive and profitable. Mm -hmm. And again, a lot of the lesser ones just die out. And then if anything were to attack that one main crop then we would be in you know not as good place so Mm -hmm. anyway that is why this book i'm going to say the title again eating to extinction by dan saladino caught my attention because i'm a little bit aware of some of that history and i would be curious to learn more
1: yeah i'm definitely adding that to my reading list
0: so um any other thoughts of things that are coming out things at the library that maybe not everybody's aware of that we could promote a little here
1: well, I know uh, the library things. We've included some kitchen appliances. Oh, great! So we have a uh, food dehydrator.
0: Oh, I did not know yeah. we had added that. We that's just added awesome. That, yeah, I actually use my food dehydrator a lot because I grow herbs and so I dry them and use them for teas and spices and cooking and things of that nature. And so, you know, I use my dehydrator as soon as my herbs start coming in. And so, I think that's a very useful. Item to have on store. And there's a lot of other things you can do with those as well, of course. Yeah, I
1: think it's a perfect thing to be rented out by the library because you could kind of, if you do, you're playing right, you can just borrow it for like three weeks and get like everything done you need right. to get done with it. And then you won't, won't need it for another like several months.
0: Right, right. It's not taking up space mm-hmm. and you're, you know, a lot of times, you know, we have all these Items, you don't have to make that major cost investment. Mm-hmm. You don't have to find space for it. And uh, you can just, you know, plan ahead and place that hold if you need to. And then make whatever it is you're going to make. Or, you know, I think one of the things that they are planning on adding are some tools. Yes. Those tools that you just really need once or twice. Yeah. You don't want to borrow from the neighbor. Don't want to spend a lot of money to purchase it if you just really need it for a quick fix at your house
1: we're discussing power tools. Oh, but yeah. So see,
0: I wondered about that. I didn't want to overspeak, but I'm, I'm happy to hear that. It makes sense. You know, you just need a drill for a quick project. Yeah. You know, and if you know, you only need it for a quick project, then why the major investment?
1: Yeah. And that's what the things were kind of really trying to add to the library of things. is just different things that are like, Needed, But only once or twice a year, like, right. for example, like the, the cake pans, like the special cake pans right. we have for December, because a lot more people were doing baking for the holidays.
0: Well, right. And I noticed the cake pans there, those, as you say, the specialty ones with the different faces and shapes this year. My kid wants, you know, Darth Vader, Mm -hmm. you know, next year, SpongeBob SquarePants, you know, and you don't want to have to buy those cake pans each and every year just to gather dust afterward. Oh, yeah. Anyway, there's just so many things coming to the library. And so definitely check in with us on our website. You will find uh, new things being added to the collection every week and indeed every month. So do check in. We have exciting things going on.
1: Right, well, thanks for having me today, I Jamie. I am
0: so glad you came. I'm always interested in what you have to say.
1: I uh, apologize for like a bit of the stuffiness. I am still getting over like a bit of the sniffles. So um, if it sounds like I'm choking, I apologize, listeners out there. Um, I can breathe sometimes, <laughs> but I can breathe enough. This has been a production of EVPL Footnotes. Join Jamie next time for TBR as she explores more new items coming to a library shelf near you.